Thank you for tuning in to another episode in Night Moves Radio. In this episode, we speak to author Trevor Bierspock. He's been writing uh, short stories in the fantasy genre and poetry for a number of years, and he's been published in local periodicals. He also speaks of being an avid gamer and creating all kinds of different worlds and characters within his stories. Um, He was an editor for a local gaming newsletter called The Dragon's Library, and he is currently the editor of the geekology website Frags in Beer. Um, You can find him at trevorbeerspock.com. And his books are available on Amazon. Be sure you check out his website to find out his next appearances if you would like to get his book. Thank you for tuning in to our interview. Have a great day. The night has come. Pale moon shines below, and the stars are twinkling lights. It must be time for Night Moves Radio. We'll be moving to the groovy music, getting lost in the words, and being entranced by timeless art. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in. We're glad that you've come to listen. Welcome to another episode of Night Moves Radio uh, with Josh and Ariana. And uh, today we are with Trevor, and I will let him say his last name because I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. That's all right. It's uh, Beerspock. Say that one more time. It's Beerspock. Beerspock. Okay, Beerspock. Okay. Because what Nash, is that a different Nash? Is that German? Definitely, yeah, very German. Okay, I was wondering. All right, cool. Uh, only reason I kind of maybe guess that right because um, my mom somewhere down the line there's a little bit of German heritage, so I think that's the only reason okay. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot, especially in this area. There's a lot of German families, so it's not uncommon. Oh, gotcha. Cool. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think I may be wrong, so if I am, I apologize. But with a lot of the Amish here in um, in our theory, there's like a lot of German, I think, probably. So yeah, Dutch that yeah, Dutch. German. That's that's another reason. Like the name kind of looked yep. familiar because I would kind of see names sort of like that, like uh, like Slayball or something. Maybe yeah. you know, it's spelled oh, kind of like that. Yeah, very similar uh, similar areas of origin. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah, most definitely. So um, we're we're glad to have you on Night Moves Radio, and so glad that uh, you know you sent us a message asking about the show and. Um, we were kind of looking over some of your books and, you know, some of the things that you're, you're into. So um, if you want to go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about yourself, go ahead. Uh, sure. Yeah, I've been, um, well, uh, 21 years married, uh, 20-year-old kid, um, lived all over the country. Uh, so I've seen a lot of different uh, cultures uh, from the south, from the southwest, uh, midwest, uh, and I've met a lot of interesting people, and I've always wanted to be um, a writer ever since I was a kid. So I think it uh, cemented my dream in high school when I actually started reading um, seriously. I never, I wasn't a big reader when I was really young, uh, but in high school I started reading uh, fantasy, and that really caught my interest in and. I think that's sort of what spurred me toward wanting to tell stories of my own, uh, create worlds of my own and, and get those out there. Uh, so that's sort of where it came from or where it all started was, I guess, a little older. And a lot of people say they always wanted to be a writer, but um, I didn't actually start reading seriously until I was in my late teens. So. That's it. I'm not. I don't have much. <laughs> it's to okay. Me. I mean, no, it's all I work right. full time. I pay the bills with us. You know, I work for a software company here in Central Illinois, so uh-huh. that's what pays the bills. Well, of course, I understand uh, that. We both have yeah. other jobs too. That's what yep. pays the bills, keeps food on the table, and the roof yeah. over our head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. You said you work for a software company. 
I do. Oh, yeah. cool. So, we, like, um, what, what do you do? Here in Peoria, we do a lot of development for contract development for, like, Caterpillar and for hospitals mm -hmm. and yeah. things like that. Awesome. I'm kind of, I'm sure software is a little bit different, but I'm kind of a tech geek myself, so I find that interesting. So Yeah. Cool. That's yeah, a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Josh is into fantasy, and I'm, and I'm sure that he probably has a lot more questions than I do. That's one of the genres that he reads quite a lot, that in yeah. science fiction. So I may hand this over to and him. And horror. And horror, yeah. <laughs> and he has yeah. our, our apartment here. Uh, he has tons of books. He I love to read, too, but mind me, I always thought I had a lot of books, but... When I met Josh, I was like, oh, no, I don't really have that many because uh, his, his book collection totally outweighed mine. Um, you said yeah. you started reading as a high schooler. I've been reading since I was a kid. And, um, you know, I actually I'm, I, sometimes I think my mom can stand it because I always had my nose in the book. And but that was just me. Mm -hmm. um, and then Josh, he also he's been reading for quite a while, I think, probably since he was a teen, too, probably. When I was when I was uh, in my. Uh... Um, junior year of high school, probably. Yeah. And yeah. then it is kind of, you know, and I also, like you, Trevor, um, I've been wanting to be a writer since I was a kid. Um, so I used to actually, I was writing stories at nine years old, so. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, I think, I, I remember, I remember writing something for my grandmother when I was, probably about that age uh i wrote a little flip book about santa claus i think it was and i even i even because my grandparents always had like notepads uh, and i was always fascinated by their little notepads and, uh -huh. and they had a they had a den you know like you used to have uh back in their era and uh, my grandfather had a desk and he had pens and pencils and, and notepads in it and mm -hmm. i remember taking one of those little notepads it was probably like you know like four by three or mm -hmm. three by five or whatever and writing out this story on every page and then I stapled like two cardboard covers on oh, the cool. thing you know and, and <laughs> like, I don't even remember I'm nine or ten years old maybe is when I did that I mm -hmm. think that's the first thing I probably ever wrote well you're quite yeah. resourceful you found your notepad and you found some you know cardboard things for the cover so <laughs> you were pretty resourceful yeah. yeah, they had all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like how I was a kid. I was, you know, and I, I still kind of am now. I love looking at journals and, and pads of paper and different kinds of pens and, and pencils. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I actually am intrigued looking through aisles like that. And people are probably like, okay, whatever. <laughs> oh, definitely. Not in the same way. To me, a blank page is just begging for something to be put on it. So I love looking at notebooks and it's like going into that island in Barnes and Noble or, mm -hmm. or whatever with all the empty journals and yeah. stuff. It's like, I just, which one can I buy? And I probably <laughs> won't ever fill up the pages, but I yeah. just want one, you know? Oh, right. I know. I'm, I have like a collection of journals. I'm always buying another journal and I have to tell myself when I'm looking through those journals at Barnes and Noble, like, I already have plenty of journals at home. I don't need another <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So, Josh, do you have any uh, questions about Trevor's writing since you're yeah. into fantasy? Um, I I noticed that uh, you're um, you, you've come up with the term uh, mage punk. If you could tell yep. the audience a bit about that and what that's sure. about, and your series, Absol you know, and, absolutely, and, yeah. Um, so, uh, two years ago, when I, I Last year I skipped Gen Con, so two years ago. I've been going to Gen Con for like six years now, and I found the writer's symposium classes to be really useful. Um, and one of the ones I took was, uh, and I'm probably going to get his name wrong. Um, I'm not even going to try, but there was an author giving a class, and one of the things that, that I, knew, I knew was true, and I've always known was true, but it's one of the things that he really cemented for me was that you know, everybody writes fantasy. Um, usually when they start, they write fantasy in a very Tolkien-esque sort of setting. Mm -hmm. um, a very Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, elves, dwarves, dragons, humans, halflings, those kinds of things. It's all very standard across the fantasy um, spectrum mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to, to writing. And he said, you have to have something that's different. You have to have something that makes your world stand out. Um, above everybody else's and in my writing a lot of my writing a lot of my world 
building has come out of, of game design and my my own campaign setting for Dungeons and Dragons and, and mm. since I was probably 14 years old and sat down and drew my first map right but it was it was very cemented in that Tolkien-esque sort of standard um, so I got to thinking what could make my world different what could I do that would be different than, than what other people are doing um, and at the time and it's been coming up and becoming more popular with steampunk, you know, has become huge over the last years. It's just blown up as far as popularity and pop culture and geek culture and writing and shows. And we're seeing more and more steampunk. Yeah. I've, I've, I like, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I, I remember seeing it gain in popularity about a, about near a, a decade ago. It's when mm-hmm. it really picked up steam I, I, I play on words there, not meaning to right. pun, but <laughs> go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I think the first exposure I had to it was was um, was it one of Studio Ghibli movies, Steam Boy? Was that one of them? Yeah, yeah, I've uh, heard of that. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't huge into it at the time, but I knew it was popular, and I liked the I liked the concept. But the more I thought about it, I thought, what? Why would a fantasy world uh, full of magic develop steam technology what would be their motivation because thinking back on the real world our technology is always developed based on the premise of well we can't do this thing we want to be able to do this thing how can we do this thing Um, so then we develop technology to do it Mm. and in a world full of wizards who can fly and who can shoot fire out of their fingertips and who can jump from one place to another in the matter of seconds, why would people, why would people want to develop a steam engine? What would be the purpose? Like you already have people that can do, you know, they can travel across a country in a matter of seconds. So why Mm -hmm. would you need to develop an engine of steam? They would be looking at that as their motivation for technology. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be trying to come up with a new way to move an engine. They would be looking at wizards and saying, well, those guys can jump across country in a second. Why wouldn't we harness what they have right. um, for this technology? So so at the time I thought, well, let's take the idea of steampunk and twist it a little bit and say, well, instead of steam, instead of gunpowder, um, instead of gear, like, of course, you're going to have machinery, but how are we going to power it? Um, magic. Yeah. We'll either use wizards as batteries or we'll use magical items as batteries uh, to power these machines. Yeah. And so I thought it was clever at the time because I even Googled it and I could not find a reference to Mage Punk anywhere. Mm. And I'm like, oh, great. I am onto something new. And uh, recently I did Google it and turns out it has been a term for a little while, but nobody like defined it. Everybody's like, yeah. well, it's kind of like steampunk. But it's got magic. Oh, well, that's kind of dumb. Like, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't really fully explain it. Yeah. Um, so I decided my world is sorting, starting to develop this technology. They're going to have skyships and firearms and machinery, uh, but it's all going to be powered by magic rather than steam and fire. Uh, and so there will be no need to develop gunpowder. There will be no need to develop, you know, steam uh, power they're going to harness uh, magic either by wizards contributing their own magical power to these machines or by just taking magical items and putting them in canisters of some sort that can draw on the energy that's already in them to produce some other effect, like to make a firearm go off or to make a ship fly through the air. So that's sort of what I decided was going to be the unique element about my, uh, about my campaign setting. Well, I got to say, um, listening to this like it's kind of freaking me out i i very much believe in uh collective consciousness and stuff and how ideas are transferred and shared consciousness and stuff and because i so happen to be working on a series myself that's it i wouldn't say well the world is kind of tolkien-esque but not so much tolkien-esque as like uh well i'm sure you're familiar with the conan stories by robert e howard Oh, definitely. And yeah. and the sword and sorcery uh, subgenre mm-hmm. of fantasy, and it's set in yeah. this this world where <clears throat> uh, the story I'm working on 
uh, the story series I'm working on is set in this world where there are these um, advanced beings that come uh, from another dimension and they uh, in invade, they're the bad guys and they found an empire and they're really advanced and they use uh, magical crystals to power their machines and oh. they mine this world uh, for, for, for those crystals, this world that they've crossed okay. over into and um, the, the, uh, the, they have a division called the Magist Advancem, which works in magic and uh, technology and um and so yeah it's a, it's a lot similar somewhat similar to what you have um and uh the the um what what's happening is the inhabitants of the world even though it's like a ancient type world uh they're uh, they're learning how to fight back against this empire and are actually cannibalizing stealing and incorporating parts of their technology in their in sure. the, this rebellion, so yeah, yeah I mean, totally. makes sense. It's down a similar line. Um, so right. you're not alone out there. You're definitely not alone. Um, yeah. uh, no, I, I agree. I think that a lot of ideas. I, I do believe that there's the possibility for unique ideas out there. Otherwise, we wouldn't develop anything new in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I do believe that a lot of ideas are developed because we're we're all we're all exposed to so much, mm -hmm. um, whether it be story-wise or technology-wise or other ideas, um, it's easy to to un subconsciously take pieces and parts of other people's ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the it's one of the struggles of being a writer um, with other people who you know when when you come into contact with other people who are also being writers. It's it's one of the things where you almost have to be very careful. Uh, because it's so easy to forget what somebody told you about a story that they yeah. that they were talking about and accidentally incorporated into your one of things. It's one of the reasons that a lot of writers, um, unless they're directly soliciting, like, okay, we'll look at your work and we'll give you our thoughts on it. Most writers, when you walk up to them and say, hey, can you look at my work? They will say no. Unless it's published, no, I will not look at your work. Yeah. And it's not that they're being rude, Um they are intentionally protecting themselves from the unintentional possibility of, of accidentally using something that you told them. Uh, and it, and it, and it's a real issue and it's something, but it, but it also comes into play when like, it, like you said, shared consciousness uh, yeah. or more, more likely, you know, because we all hear a lot of the same things over and over again, we start to pick it and choose pieces of those things to use in our own work. And, um, and, and like you say, and like you say, I, I'm the same way as you. Like, I don't, I don't, um, really get into detail about my, about my writings until like someone has a chance to read them and they're released and they're finished. But like, I'm right. just so kind of a, amazed and intrigued that our, um, our work has somewhat, uh, both our works have somewhat similar uh, motifs about them, and that's why I yeah, went that's into. Very cool. I wouldn't have went into it unless that that had uh, that had that happened. Right. Um, no, definitely. Now uh, the you said um, the 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 world, um, your you the world you're working on, um, it has like uh it has more more of your uh traditional uh high fantasy uh type uh, races and stuff right it does but i did twist those two and that was the other part that was really difficult for me to do um the challenge was i had created my world over the course of i mean i'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal some secrets about myself but i'm i'm 42 years old uh -huh. and i've been playing dungeons and dragons since i was 14 uh -huh. um the very first time I played Dungeons and Dragons with a friend of mine, the summer of my 14th year, um, the first time I'd ever played it, he invited me over. He's like, you got to check this game out. We sat down and played it. And I went home after that session and I started drawing a map. Mm. Um, and I created the beginnings of the world, the, you know, my world of Thelos 
that day. So what, mm-hmm. 30 years ago or so. Um, and then just a couple of years ago, I realized that the world I created was too cookie cutter and I needed to change some things. And that's a very hard thing to do. Right. Uh, so I took, and I did at the time I had your dwarves, I had like three different types of elves. I had the high elves and the wild elves and all, I mean, all the trappings of basically Dungeons and Dragons in my, in my world. And I thought I, this can't work. I'm just like everybody else. Nobody's going to want to read this uh, because what's to separate it from your standard Forgotten Realms book or anything that anybody's read, you know, in the last 30 years. Mm. So I finally said, look, okay, so we're going to get rid of gnomes and we're going to get rid of halflings. Mm. Um, We're going to take the elves. I decided there's no high elves. There is no middle elves. There's no, the elves in my world are a very primitive, Mm -hmm. um, race of of people uh they live very close to the woodland um they hate magic they're very xenophobic wow that's Um, a difference elves hating magic you don't see that i mean that's original right yeah it's very it's very uncommon there there is one small group of elves in the forgotten realms that they don't so much hate magic as they just don't study it right so i'm like well these i said i made my guy like they are okay with natural magic, magic that comes from the earth. They right. have druids, they have healers, they have mm-hmm. shamans. Uh, but arcane magic, that stuff's bad, that stuff's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I created an entire new, an entirely new race um, called the Tarkil, mm-hmm. which are actually a split of... Oh, so I had to create some creation theory, some creation uh, mythology with this. And, and said, so, well, a long time ago, the elves... We're all one people, and one group of elves went one way, and the other group of elves went the other way, and the ones that went one way started studying magic, and they got corrupted, and that's why the other elves hate magic. They look mm. at their cousins, who became corrupted by this magic. So they um, see it in a very, this, they, go ahead. They see it in a very uh, kind of black and white way. They don't see what may have mm-hmm. happened to cause that. To this exactly, cause yeah. corruption. Because yeah. it's set because we have to remember a lot of people want to write and this is something that I see as some modern authors falling into, um, and forgetting is they want to write fantasy uh about these cultures that are really old. Yeah. But they want to write them with modern sensibilities. And while you can do that sometimes, you can write an entire race of people that think slavery is evil. That, that's doable because in our history, we have had cultures that thought slavery was evil. But mm. you also have to remember that most of the rest of the world is going to accept that if you're writing about a world that's set a long time ago yeah. uh, as far as their cultural development. Uh, so these elves, are their, so, their uh, society and culture is very religious very fundamentally religious Mm. um they believe that the the gods created them a certain way and some of their brethren decided to shun the gods and go do their own thing and they Mm. were corrupted Mm. so that cemented their belief that well we can't do that we can't Mm. go study magic that's evil look what it did to them you know so you have to you can't just write you can't take the way the world is today and and sort of spring a fantasy setting out of that it doesn't always work yeah um so you have to really dial it back and go well what would people a thousand years ago have thought or two thousand years ago have thought uh, about something like this and so that's sort of where i went with that um i made the 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 dwarves are less dwarfy i guess you would say (laughs) um they're more like inventors Technolo- they're the actually the ones that start in developing the technology that uses magic. Uh-huh. Um, they start developing the firearms. They're the ones that start developing the sky ships. So where everybody else would have gnomes being the people who invent things that build machines, yeah. that's not so in my world. Right. Uh, See, so yeah, I, I tweaked a lot of things. That's very oh, challenging. Yeah. Anybody who's ever built a world, especially over the course of 25-some years, will understand that changing going especially changing huge things like taking an entire country of elves and saying they don't exist anymore is very difficult to do yeah and and i used to be a member of a 
I won't name them, uh, but uh, I used to be a member of a certain uh, science fiction fantasy message board online that is it has a very big presence, and they always like to bitch about the unoriginality of uh, several author's uh, work uh, in the field of, of, of fantasy, and they tried to uh, put down a lot of people who were ambitious of be, about being fantasy writers, and, and they, they, right. were, they always complained about how, you know, no one can create an original race anymore, and blah, 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 blah. Well, the thing is, they, they themselves hadn't tried to go about it at all. Like, right. and they don't realize how just how hard that is to create original race. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it, ta it takes a lot of, it takes it, a lot of work. It, 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 it is. And that's one of the things that I, that frustrates me with, with, um, mostly other creative types. I, I'm not going to begrudge fans who, who criticize where, cause, cause I've been there. I've, I've looked at some person's movie or some person's writing is from a fan perspective and thought, ah, I don't, I don't care for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to sit down and do it yourself, because um, what a lot of people don't realize when you create an entirely new race, when you're not basing it on somebody else's already done work, you've got to think mythology, creation theory, yeah. um, pantheon, what are their religions like, right. what is their culture like, what are their holidays, what do they do for fun? Like there are all these things you got to think of that when somebody sits down and thinks elf, well, we have 60-some years of modern mythology, not counting the, the hundreds or so years of Celtic mythology or European mythology or German mythology about elves, but you have, starting with Tolkien, this core um, framework already done for you. So you can throw elf in a book and 99% of your readers are going to know what you mean. And you don't have to talk about what they believe and what they do and what they think and how they dress because you could just say elf. And yeah. instantly your mind thinks, well, I've got a short person with pointy ears and pale skin who dress in green clothes and probably uses a bow and lives in the woods. <laughs> I thought they were the tall writers... and lithe people, right? not short. Yeah. Yeah. So the writer's work is done for them when yeah. they do that. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not going to say everybody who just throws elves or dwarves into their books is doing it wrong. Yeah. But anybody who thinks it should be so easy to just create an entirely new race of people, they really haven't thought it through, I don't think. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, I got to say that, yes, while... Uh, well, it's important uh, to to have originality in your stories and everything. I one thing I learned a little while back from I forget who 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 said this, but um, they said that while you know um, similar stories have been have been told uh, by different authors and everything. Uh, no one has told the story the way you're going to tell it. Uh -huh. There's a truth That's to true. that. And some people, I think, get down on themselves because they think, oh, you know, this is going to be like every other story, you know, and they're afraid, you know, they're going to uh -huh. they're gonna rip off something and everything. But, and while it's important to be original, like I said, nobody has written the story that you have because you're a unique individual and you bring something unique to the table. So I, I would agree. I guess yeah. you can come at it at both angles, you know, with that. Yeah, that, that yeah. actually leads into one of your uh, blog posts um, saying how we're not competitors. I was kind of reading over that a little while ago and uh, uh -huh. you were like at a convention or somewhere um, with your wife had a jewelry stand. You had some of your books there and you said there was another lady selling books and it was kind of hard to not be dis. I mean, it's just a human reaction not to be slightly bitter because everybody was yeah. at her table and then not yours. And uh, yeah. so, you know, but then you have to realize that authors, you know, even though some of them think we might be competing, we're really not because we all have different stories to tell. So, exactly. So like, yeah, I totally, yeah, I'm, I'm 100%. I, you guys talked about libraries. I have um, well over a thousand books in my library that I've read um, and another couple hundred in my stack to read. Um, but I can't tell you the number of times I've read the same um, story idea 
and that's the, and you're right. Authors tend to think, well, how can I come up? Th- every story has been used. Every original idea has been used. And while that's probably mostly true, it's delivery that's the important part. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell the same story that somebody else told. If your delivery is unique, that's what people are going to remember. Right. Uh, you know, everybody's got the hero's tale. Everybody's got the everyman story. Everybody's got the, you know, the the old mentor teaches the young kid to become the super powerful wizard slash Jedi slash whatever it is. You know, those stories have been told countless times. It's the delivery that's the important part. Right. Uh, and on the flip side of that, we have to remember, like you, like you said, Ariana, that we aren't. While we are out there trying to sell our books, um, and sometimes sell our books with other people, uh, other authors in the same, you know, either venue or uh, show or whatever it may be, um, not every reader is going to buy every single book and not yeah. every reader is going to be drawn to your book. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at other authors. Uh, you know, I sat there and watched that, that particular show in Bloomington a couple weeks ago. I watched people walk up to her booth. They talked to her about her books. They bought her books. She, uh, hand over fist, I sold uh, one book that day, that weekend, mm-hmm. that whole weekend, I sold one book. And it is, it's very discouraging. But yeah, I it's super frustrating. Yeah. I'm glad I read your post because, like, there's been so many conventions that, you know, that we go to and Josh and I be sitting there and, like, people, like, what I did at this last convention at Dark History, uh, I actually added some art thinking that would draw people in and then they'd see our books. Uh-huh. And um, some people were, you know, interested in my art and some people bought that. But then again, like, I feel like they kind of, like, just thumb over our books, like, look at it and, like, kind of talk to us and pretend like they're interested and they said oh well we'll be back later and then they yeah, don't that and, always they, happens. and then they, they don't come back, back and yeah. and it, it can be so right. frustrating and then yeah. all the authors like will be talking to each other well how you how do you do today and then somebody be like oh i'm doing pretty good and you're sitting there and you don't really say anything because you're like i'm not doing yeah. very good <laughs> yeah yeah i have found i haven't been doing this for i published my i published embers of liberty in october Mm-hmm. Uh, and I published When Heroes Rise in, in January. So I've been doing shows since October. Mm-hmm. And I have sold enough to make me feel good overall. Uh-huh. But there have been some shows where I didn't sell anything. Um, and it's it's difficult. And it ain't paying the bills. It's not going to pay the bills probably ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the point. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like for every person that for every person that stops at my booth and picks up my book and then puts down money because they can't walk away without it, that makes up for the 30 people that walk by and show passing interest and say they'll come back and never come back. Yeah. Uh, because seeing that person's face, like seeing it click, um, and this is it's funny because I'm going to compare. I've been doing shows with my wife for the last probably six years or so, um, and she deals with the same thing. And there's a there's a there's a term out there called imposter syndrome. Every one of us deals with imposter syndrome. We will never think we're as good as the other people around us mm-hmm. um, because there's there's a couple reasons. As far as a writer goes, it's because you write the book, you read the book and edit it. You read the book and edit it again. Sometimes you have somebody else read the book and you go back and edit it. By the time you're done with that book, you have read it so damn many times <laughs> that it's boring to you. It's boring. Yeah. So when you put it out there, you're like, eh. I mean, imagine most of the books on your bookshelf, if you read them six or seven times, how many of those books would actually still be interesting after the sixth or seventh read? It's got to be a really good <laughs> and, book for that to happen. Yeah, not many, some. I've got a few that I could read that many times, but Mm -hmm. not all of them. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they're bad. It's just because it's like watching a movie over and over again. How many movies in our collection can we really watch over and over again? We've got a few, but not that many. Um, Well, my wife, she's an artist. She makes her own jewelry. Everything she does, she designs herself. Mm But it becomes routine after a while. She designs, she makes them, she designs them, she works on them for hours, she 
cards them, she puts them in displays and she takes them to shows and she sees them over and over and over and over again and to the point where they're like, eh, they're not really that good. I, I totally understand um, that because I kind of make jewelry yeah. and stuff myself or and I'm a little bit of an artist and I just make stuff and like for me it was always routine and then, you know, everybody like, oh, that's so pretty. I'm like, eh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... But that's the magic of it because that's the person that's the person that belongs to. Like especially with jewel, my wife's jewelry, mm-hmm. uh, every piece she makes is completely unique. There's not a single. She doesn't use patterns. She doesn't repeat anything. She doesn't take pictures of anything. So every piece she sells is completely unique. And when one person finds that piece and picks it up and says, "I can't leave without this," I'm like, "That's the reason." Yeah. That's the justification for doing what we do because that piece found its home with that person yeah so that book found its home with that person and that's what makes it worth it more than oh i sold more than that person down the row or that that author next to me or whatever mm-hmm. you know right. i found the right person not the most people but the right people for my book yeah i'm going to try you know? to keep your post in mind at the next couple of conventions i'm at because it's uh-huh. it's so hard to like not get discouraged you know and you see, like, you know, yeah, authors really going to all, and you see people going to all the other authors' table, and they're not stopping at yours, and you're thinking, what am I doing wrong? What can I right. do to make my table look more interesting? You know, because you always yeah. worry it's something about your setup, or maybe you're not being friendly enough, or, you know, and right. so it's it's really hard to not start, like, sitting there picking yourself apart, trying to figure out what you're doing wrong. Yeah, it's challenging. And, it, you know, like, I did, um, I did Heroes Fan Fest up in Chicago um, this recently what two months ago was when it was and it was great for me because the very first convention i ever went to was a wizard world in chicago at the rosemont and the minute i walked in and started looking at all the comic book art and seeing all the people and and enjoying this convention experience from that moment i'm like this is what i want to do i want to be at one of these things selling my work right Right. So that day I did Fan Fest. When I walked in, I walked in the back doors of that convention hall of the Rosemont Hall, and I was toting a cart full of my books and my display material and my flyers and all my stuff, and I was beside myself. I Mm -hmm. was just so, like, I'm I'm here. It was like 2000. 2005, I think, was my first convention up at up at Wizard World, and so 13 years later, here I am. I'm actually here, right? I sold one book in that weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very hard to be to not be discouraged. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just there weren't the right people. They weren't the right people for my book, and that's mm-hmm. all I. I mean, that's what I have to tell myself. Right. Mm. right. Yeah, I'll try to remember that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, it yeah. is difficult. Yeah, it definitely is. I was seeing some of your appearances, and you, you listed like a Peoria Book Fest. Have you been there before, or is there something you can tell us about that? Because I don't know. Every once in a while, I'm still trying to scope out different places to go, so I didn't know if like you had information about that. Definitely. Uh, is that the one in September? Yeah. Um, I have not done that one before. Uh, but I have heard, I think it's only their second or third year, and I think oh, okay. they did really well last year. Um, but yeah, I, I'm doing it because the the entry is really cheap, or it's very, I can't remember if it was really cheap or if it was free. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I don't remember, because I don't really do shows that cost a lot of money unless I do them with my wife, because... The overhead, I, like I don't make that much on a book, so mm-hmm. in order to sell, I'd have to sell a ton of books to pay for an expensive show. Oh yeah, yeah, we um, understand that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely we do too, because sometimes we don't always make back what we pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I and I'm doing that show on my own, so it couldn't have been very expensive. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure yet. We'll see how that show goes. I'm excited about it because it's it's indoors um, and it's got. They had a lot of vendors last year, mm-hmm. and it's mostly, it's not just books, but it's book-related stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, people selling books, people selling book-themed merchandise, it's going to be a lot of basically a celebration of, of literature is what it's oh, supposed to be. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, because we're always trying to look at something maybe new. but I think, That's right up our alley, yeah. really. I mean, and wow. actually, it's, it's October 26th, and I, I don't know if that's the same time around Dark History, but we're kind of talking about maybe trying something different like maybe next year yeah so that's why i was kind of interested 
Yeah, definitely check them out. Anything. Yeah, my appearances pages, I try to keep that up to date. I think I've got everything on there mm-hmm. um, that I'm signed up for. Uh, I'm finding that I'm finding kind of a mix. I actually have done better at craft shows that my wife does versus pop culture conventions. Like mm-hmm. I did Peoria Con, which was a pretty good comic book convention, but I didn't sell any books. Mm. But my wife did fantastic. So she more than paid for both of our booths and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did really well at a high school craft show for a Christmas event. Huh. Uh, it's actually my best selling show was a craft show at a high school in Peoria. Uh, <laughs> That's so, interesting. I just don't know. You just never know where you're actually going to sell. You know? Were yeah. you were you like one of the only few authors at that craft show, or? I think yeah. I think I was the only one selling books, <laughs> and I had I had the corner. I, it was my wife's show, and she asked if it was okay if I had books on her table, and they were like, yeah, sure, that's fine. So I had a corner. I had my book sitting there with some flyers, mm-hmm. and I sold nine books at that show. It's my best show. That's awesome. Nice. Cool. Wow. So, yeah, it's weird. You just don't know. Huh. Yeah, because, see, sometimes, like, we're, like, I don't know, every once in a while we'll sell, like, a book or two, but we just, we haven't been anywhere where we've sold, like, a lot of books. And we've talked to a lot of people, and there's people that's been uh-huh. interested, like, in our radio show. And then, like, last year yeah. when I sold art, there's a lot of people interested in my art. But, like, trying to get people interested in our book has been really tough. So, um, you know, cause we always worry, gosh, are people not reading anymore? Or are they just reading Kindle? And so we sit there and try yeah. to figure out what it is we're doing. So I'm always seeing where everybody else is going. And if we were to like, maybe actually go to a place where either there's more just book stuff and less like convention-y stuff, you know, I don't know. Right. I, I have done pretty good at, I did a, a book show in Springfield. It was specifically authors. I think there was nine of us at the event. Um, held at a used bookstore there uh and it was an author showcase it was so everybody who walked into that event was there to look at books Mm -hmm. um and i did pretty good there too so i do think there is a benefit to doing um very targeted shows Mm -hmm. um where it is yeah just authors like the one i'm doing this saturday in peoria is that's all, there's like 12 of us there, but it's just authors. So mm-hmm. anybody who comes to this event is coming with the very specific uh, purpose of looking at and possibly purchasing books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those I'll probably, I, I hope I'll do okay. I don't want to jinx it. I hope oh, I'll yeah. do okay because <laughs> <Saturday, laughs> it's going to be super hot. So if mm-hmm. I don't do okay, I'm going to really feel like I did, wasted oh. my time. Well, good to know, and I appreciate that information. Um, absolutely yeah anything we can do to help because that like i said that goes back to the we're not competitors thing mm-hmm. we got to help each other out exactly you know, mm-hmm. that's how we get it done yeah most definitely you know because i kind of feel like writers really should kind of work together as a collective because we're all here trying to share stories so mm-hmm. um josh do you have any other questions for trevor um i just wanted to real quick ask you um what uh what authors are your i mean we already discussed tolkien of course but what authors are your major influences for your uh your series oh yeah that's that's actually really easy um margaret weiss and tracy ekman mm-hmm. yep. um i know they're i know they're very i know they're very popular among a very niche crowd mm-hmm. um if you were to get outside of the very even within fantasy, they're not huge um, as far as popularity. But when you get very specific to people who read uh, fantasy related to Dungeons and Dragons, um, everybody knows who Weiss and Hickman are. Yeah, and they, um, they haven't like they they they've not only done like Dragonlance, but they they they've done tons of other original series of yes. their own too. I mean, there's absolutely you know, the Deathgate cycle, um, Dark next Sword. to the Dragonlance core books, the, the legends and chronicles, yeah. um, the Deathgate cycle is probably one of my favorite series mm. ever written. Yeah. Um, and partly because, uh, the world of Kryn that was developed under their, under their, um, leadership, I guess you could say, was so to me um, historically appealing Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm, I'm huge into history. I love reading war history. I love oh, yeah. reading U.S. history, European history. And the thing that got me with the Dragonlance series versus any other series of books I ever read was that you could read one book. Um, let's take the Dragonlance Chronicles, for example. Um, there are references to Huma. Um, there are references to... Uh, the war of uh, the dragon wars there's mm-hmm. references to um oh uh, all these all these uh events in the history of this world mm-hmm. there's all these references to it in these books mm-hmm. and you could take any one of those major events and there's a book about it right and that really appealed to me because I could read about the I could read the chronicles and like oh they talked about this this hero, you mm. know from two hundred some years ago named Huma yeah. who defeated the dragon queen. Well, guess what? There's a book about Huma. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and you could read about the the fall uh, or the 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 sundering of the Elven nation mm-hmm. uh, when when all the elves split from Sylvanesti and went off and created their own nation. Well, guess what? There's a book series about that. Yep. <laughs> so I loved that about that entire um, series of books. And that's right. sort of what inspired me to write my short stories the way I did. Um, in When Heroes Rise, there are nine or ten short stories. I can't remember exactly. I think it's, I think it's ten. Um, they start in sort of the past of Thelos, uh, before the advent of technology, before the advent of modern cultures. Uh, and then they go into just after this major apocalypse and then into the future beyond that. So I wrote, not a lot of authors have done this. Every, almost every author who writes post-apocalyptic stuff writes about post-apocalyptic earth. Right. My post, my post-apoc stories are about post-apocalyptic fellows. Uh-huh. Right. So when you're reading about Dez or when you're reading about Jules or when you're reading about Sam in When Heroes Rise, those characters are in the world of fellows after a major apocalypse. But when you read the first couple stories about Snowdove and all of that, that's many, many generations before that uh, major event that destroyed the world. So it's all in the same world. So that's what, like, the world of Kryn sort of inspired that, where I'm like, I want to make sure that not only do my characters live, uh, but I want to make sure the world lives. I want to make sure the history feels like it lives, not just like, oh, these characters are talking about something that happened 100 years ago. Yeah. I want it to feel like it actually happened. And and, you know? and that's one of the things that made Tolkien so rich. I mean, heck, he could take yeah. the little blip of a sentence and 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 make it sound like there should be a whole entire series of books written on it and yet he 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 wrote so little relatively but he has so much in in those those few books yeah yeah i would agree there's there's that's one of the i think that's one of the failings of some authors is they forget that their world is a character too. Yeah, exactly. Um, including its history. They forget that, the, Oh, I got to write a story about these five characters and they go defeat the bad guy and that's it. Yeah. But where are they? What are the, why are they doing it? What's happening around them? Um, what's happening in the next town? Like you don't have to go into, you want your reader to believe that everything's not happening in a bubble around your main characters. Right. You want, to, you want them to feel like there are other things happening while they're reading this story. It's kind of like, I mean, I've always been a big uh, Star Wars fan. Not so much of the new canon that they've come out with, but the old Legends canon. And one of the things uh-huh. that drew me in about that is you have all the, these different characters across the board, and they have all like these different stories. And it's not just about the Skywalkers, you know. Right. You know. I agree. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It's, yeah, I think that's an important thing for a writer to remember. I mean, if you want to write one trilogy and that be it, that be your swan song, then okay. But <laughs> I believe if you want a lasting career, uh, you need to make sure that your world um, has life. Yeah. Uh, isn't, just, isn't just a stage for your characters to play around on, you know. Right. Right. 
Well, um, we're kind of over 45 minutes, and we don't want to keep holding you hostage, Trevor. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm okay. Okay. Um, I just, again, appreciate you being on our show and uh, reaching out to Absolutely. us. And it's always nice to talk to another kind of local author here in Illinois. So, um, so it's pretty cool and, um, always feel free to come back and maybe who knows, maybe we'll meet, meet up somewhere at some convention. You never know. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be great. Absolutely. Um, if you want to tell our audience where people can find you online, I did find some of your stuff on Amazon and I found your, um, website. So if you want to tell the audience about your online sites. Definitely. Um, so the easiest way to find all of my information, uh, I'm most active on Twitter at TJ Bierschbach. Um, then I'll spell it for you real quick in case you're writing this down. It's B-I-E-R-S-C-H-B-A-C-H. Um, but I've sort of branded, and this is important for writers, brand everything early because if you don't if you have a different facebook page and different twitter profile and different website name people won't find you uh so my website is trevorbearsbach.com my facebook page is trevorbearsbach writes um but i have it all linked on twitter uh, you can find both of my books on amazon embers of liberty came out in october and when heroes rise which is a short story collection came out in january um, you can get signed copies of both on my website, and then my appearances page on the website shows if you want to come in person and meet me and get a book signed. I'll either I'll ha always have books with me, but if you purchase one ahead of time and want to get it signed, I will be more than happy to do that. So that's where you can find me. Great. Thanks Good. for letting us know. And again, thank you for being on our show, Trevor. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. You're welcome. We had a lot of fun. Definitely. All right. Well, you have a good evening, Trevor. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Take it easy. You too. And thank you for listening to another episode of Night. We'll see you all again. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Cloverleaf Radio Network, where you can find shows such as The Hollywood Connection, Cloverleaf Radio, Night Moves Radio, and Soul Stories. You can find us on Facebook under the Cloverleaf Radio Network. We broadcast on Anchor, Blog Talk Radio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and many more. Tune in anytime during the week. We post our links. You can listen on your own time, on your own day, anytime you want. We provide you with new material every week. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.